Amen. Thank you, John. And uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, just to add, you know, to what uh, Andrea said, uh, please do uh, see how you can come along and support us in that week of prayer. Another thing that people sometimes say is they don't want to pray out aloud. That's fine. You know, just your presence praying quietly with us encourages us. And you know what? Isn't it? It's just, I think it's amazing when we stand back and think that the creator of the universe wants to hear from you specifically from you he wants to hear from you that's that's astonishing so let's support that week of prayer please do um this morning so normally um our, our modus operandi at Lynn baptist church our normal way of preaching is we start with the bible passage and we do an exposition of the bible passage and apply it to life i i think that's the best way of preaching uh, it's the way we preach 90 percent of the time occasionally though we might do something different and today we're doing something a little bit different so instead i'm actually going to take some events and stories from 2023 and then ask the question as christians how do we respond to those and how does the bible help there's always a risk when you do it this way that you end up cherry-picking verses that happen to agree with what I'm saying. So I try and avoid that. But mostly we follow the first method today. We're doing things a little bit differently. So um, if you can have the first slide, please. Last week, we actually spent some time, as John mentioned, talking about 2023. And it's good to uh, remember what happened and to exercise our gratitude muscle and remember the good things that God has done for us in 2023 per, um, personally in our personal lives. And we did that. Today, we're going to look at some of the national and international events in the news and ask as Christians, what can we learn from those? Uh, what does that say to us? Uh, the things I'm going to talk about today are from an article I wrote in December for Premier Christianity and the Baptist Times. And the question I'm really asking is, can we, by reflecting on the past, grow in wisdom for the future? Can we develop sound judgment in particularly? Because as Christians, as people of God, we are called to exercise judgment <clears throat> in many situations. So before jumping into those, I just wanted to say there's loads of positive news from 2023 that never gets into the news, does it? Um, so I wanted to, just to start off, just very quickly look at some of the um, good things that happened in the news, but you probably didn't see them reported unless you were looking hard. So one of the things was that China, the country that contributes the lion's share of CO2, has reached probably a reverse tipping point. So rather than tipping the world into um, climate crisis, where we already kind of are, uh, China has now invested so much in solar, wind, and hydro, and electric vehicles, that its CO2 emissions, as early as 2024, are set to decrease. That's good news. Good news. Then there's the very little reported story that I saw of how the Irish government is going to ban mobile phones from primary schools. What a great thing to do. Now, I'm a big fan of technology. I love tech. I, I, I've, my, my career has been in technology, worked for Silicon Valley companies, but I'm also very concerned about the impact of technology, particularly on children. So the Irish government, by law, are going to ban phones from primary schools and from outside the schools. So good for them, good news. And then thirdly, just um, 
One organisation, I happened to see the report, the annual report from Christian Aid. They're just one uh, organisation among many. Uh, and, and I just looked at the numbers. Almost £100 million raised in one year. 2.9 million people reached directly by Christian Aid. Many more indirectly. But almost 3 million people's lives, millions lives improved. 55% of them female. 275 projects across developing countries on every continent. They're just one charity among many. Um, we, we can give thanks and celebrate what God is doing through national charities and smaller charities, some of whom we have here amongst us today as well. Thank God for, for doing that. And let's continue to pray that God resources them, equips them, and encourages them. It's good news. And then here, not that this is now bad news, right? But now here are the three news items I want to talk about uh, in more detail uh, from 2023, asking that question, how can we develop sound judgment? Uh, how can we grow in wisdom? What do they have in common? Because they're three different uh, news items, aren't they? The COVID-19 inquiry, it's been going on since about March. Uh, the Middle East conflict, obviously since October. And then something else which has, wasn't in the news, but it's a trend uh, which was reported on in 2023 of social attitudes in the UK. So the way we exercise judgment, that's what we're trying to do, to grow in wisdom, to grow in judgment. Um, we all agree that we want to be wise. We want to grow in wisdom. God calls us to do that. Uh, and so 2023, some of these stories, I think, can help us to exercise sound judgment. And that wisdom, that judgment is important, whether we're looking at international news or in our own country or in our own church or sometimes in our own families where we also are called to exercise sound judgment, to judge well. So first of all then, this, this first event, COVID-19 and what I'm calling being righteous after the event. We saw for months, didn't we, in 2023, we heard the per painful uh, testimony of our politicians, Dominic Raab, Rishi Sunak, uh, Boris Johnson, one after another, uh, hold in front of this inquiry and under oath, <clears throat> under oath, answering questions. Should they have locked down earlier? Should they have had drinks at number 10? Should we have eaten out to help out? And the, so one, one very early finding in the first half of the year was that Boris Johnson actually misled the House of Commons. He lied, basically. Um, he say, basically came out with lots of statements that said, I was assured that all rules were being followed. You know, everybody told me, I, as far as I knew, we were following all the rules all the time. We never broke rules. He effectively lied. Um, and more recently, um, the inquiry has been examining whether the lockdowns of those years, which seem so long ago now, don't they? That seems like another world. But whether those lockdowns should have been called earlier and enforced harder. That's what they've been looking at. One interesting thing I'll mention is that they're not asking the opposite question for some reason. So they're not asking the question, how much damage was caused by lockdowns? How many cancer diagnoses were missed? How much mental health was made worse through lockdown? And we know, for example, Alison's mother who died not that long ago, that we're certain that her vascular dementia, which caused her death, was definitely exacerbated by being locked in her care, home, care room home, care home room, sorry, whenever there was a case of COVID, for weeks on end, effectively imprisoned. Uh, but anyway, that's the question. Maybe they'll come to that. 
But anyway, mistakes were certainly made by our leaders. We know that. They made mistakes, probably many mistakes. But it's easy to be righteous after the event. Poor decisions were made, but it's not wrong or somehow immoral to make poor decisions. I do that. We all do that. That's not wrong. The challenges they faced were immense. On some days, you remember, 2,000 people were dying a day. It was, we, called, we used words like apocalypse. We said it was the worst crisis since World War II, except in World War II, we at least had World War I to compare it to. COVID-19 was entirely new, an entirely new situation. In such a crisis, when I see the COVID inquiry, honestly, and the questions they ask, I'm thinking, you know, could, would you have done any better? Can we honestly say that we would have made better decisions than they did? Again, it's easier to be righteous after the event. We have to allow people running our country to make mistakes. Even, and this is my personal opinion only, even to go out and have drinks when they shouldn't have done. I'm trying to put myself in their situation. And in a week, after an exhausting week, filled with thousands of deaths and my plans failing, if somebody had said to me, do you want to come out for a drink? I might well have said yes. I might well have said I need it. So um, let's not be righteous after the event. Crucially, this being righteous after the event attitude from media and from society, from ourselves, has another impact. It makes it very hard for politicians to apologize. It makes it very hard for them to tell the truth. We need honesty from our politicians when mistakes occur. But we may need to make it okay for them to say sorry. A massive part of the Christian faith is coming to God and saying sorry. So we've got to allow people, got to encourage them to say sorry. That's okay. You can, we can have restoration after that. An early and genuine apology from Boris, if he just said early on, early last year, look, we made mistakes, we messed up, and I'm sorry would have gone a long way to diffusing all the mess that came out after it. Probably his resignation, because he resigned for that reason, didn't he? But this self-righteousness that society is full of, and if we're not careful, the church, if we're not careful, we put pressure on politicians that they always have to look good, they have to make stuff up. You've got to come out with a public statement. There's a press conference. You're on Radio 4 tomorrow with Chris Mason. He's going to ask you some hard questions on the Today program. You better make us look good. It's hard for them, isn't it, in such a society? Apologizing in our society is seen as weakness when we take this self-righteous attitude. That should never be the case as Christians. We need to work against that. So number one, then, in developing sound judgment... It's easy to be righteous after the event. And it's interesting that Jesus' harshest words were always reserved for people who were self-righteous, hypocritical. And he talks about, as I'm sure you know in in the Sermon on the Mount, don't, what are you looking at the speck in my eye for when you've got a great big plank in your eye? And then he follows it up with this statement. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge, as you, you judge others, you will be judged. And the way that you measure others, it will be measured to you. 
But we have to be careful as well. We are yet, we are supposed to judge. We do have to exercise judgment. It's not okay just to say, well, everything's, you know, it doesn't matter how people behave. We're still called to exercise discernment as Christians. But in a spirit of humility and looking for the restoration of other people. So that kind of discernment based on spiritual wisdom in humility, helping to restore people back to where they were, that is good judgment, not being righteous after the event. Okay, then, secondly, what does the Middle East conflict reveal about ourselves, actually, about how we judge one another? I mean, this has been an awful situation uh, in the news, much reported, much debated. It's beyond heartbreaking, isn't it? Uh, just the, the images that we've been looking at, the horror uh, of October 7, of the massacres, were deeply shocking. What's happened since then in Gaza, somebody, one commentator said recently, in Gaza, it's going beyond annihilation. Beyond annihilation. Deeply upsetting. And just as an, as an aside, I'll say, as, we're, as human beings, I don't think we're designed to cope with relentless, traumatizing images night after night, one after another. I don't feel we're designed for that. A nightly, nightly traumatizing reports and images. And the internet and mobile devices means they follow us around, these images and this news. It's real time, it's video, it's images, and you almost can't get away from it. Now, as Christians, we have a responsibility to be aware of what's going on in the world so that it fuels our prayers and our giving we have a responsibility not to just turn away, but that has to be balanced. Overexposure to that kind of news uh, can be, in the end, mentally exhausting. I find it mentally exhausting. And it's important as well to balance that content with content that lifts us, whatever that is for you. Music, I don't know, would I lie to you, call the midwife. To balance it with other content, we need to have a balance in life. But back to my main question, though. What does this conflict show us? What does it show us, if anything, about how to judge people and how we judge other people? Well, I think, fairly simply, I think the events of the Middle East are another blunt reminder that as humans, we're not good at putting ourselves in each other's shoes. In fact, we're rubbish. We're, we're rubbish at putting ourselves in each other's shoes and seeing the situation from another person's perspective. Here are two peoples coexisting side by side. They live together. Um, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians actually work in Israel, which doesn't have a massive population. They have a shared history, completely different faiths, but a shared history even going back to Abraham. A lot in common. They've both been through a lot through through very traumatizing histories but for the most part they simply don't accept one another's perceptions they simply don't accept one another's worldviews they don't accept what makes them who they are we can also be guilty of that in our in our nation in our churches in all kinds of areas practically and theologically we can be intolerant of people who have a dearly held view that's different to ours. We can be very intolerant without really asking and finding out why they think that. We assume we know why they think that, but we don't ask. 
God calls us to place ourselves in each other's shoes, and that's much harder than it sounds. It sounds easy, but it's really hard when you've got a dearly held view on a topic which is different to somebody else's. And the second greatest commandment when Jesus Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? The first one, love God. But the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, I think there's a definite sense here that in order to do that, in order to really do that, we have to work to place ourselves in their situation and in their shoes. Often we've thought that loving our neighbor means um, giving money, perhaps giving time, which is important as well. But I would say the best way of enacting that commandment as yourself see them as yourself, is not just gifts of money and time, but empathy, deep understanding, conversation, finding out why, why they believe what they believe, and understanding that sometimes they're but for the grace of God, go I. And then lastly, thirdly and lastly on this theme of how can we develop sounder judgment, wisdom, wise judgment, Here's something that um, wasn't a news item, um, but it's a trend which was reported on again in 2023 uh, and an increasing trend. It's the, uh, it was a, a survey of British social attitudes by the Policy Institute and King's College London. And one, um, one standout line that came out of that was that across a range of countries, the UK now ranks among the most socially liberal on a number of measures. It was published in March last year. So, you know, some things are not surprising, right? None of us are surprised that the UK is becoming increasingly liberal, increasingly permissive. That's not a surprise. We know that. But what surprised me is that actually, that I didn't know, the UK is now among the most permissive nations. Uh, Even among the the nations of Scandinavia, which I always thought were the most liberal nations of the world, on topics as diverse as homosexuality, divorce, abortion, and euthanasia. On all these topics and others, society is trending to a more and more permissive outlook. So, for example, when asked... Uh, the question, and the wording they've used is the same as the wording they used in the 80s, which sounds a bit odd now, but the wording they've used is the same. So the wording they've used is, when asked, is homosexuality justifiable, in the early 80s, only 12% of British public agreed. But now that figure is over 66%. So there's a number of trends there. Um, a, A lot of topics from um, abortion, euthanasia, same-sex relationships. They're all huge topics. And the question they're asking in that chart, in case you can't see it, is, is this justifiable? Um, Casual sex, prostitution, uh, divorce. And interestingly, over the 2010s is the biggest, as the steepest rise. I don't know why that is. Also, interestingly, the home nations are not the same. So, Scotland typically comes out as the most liberal on most of those questions. Northern Ireland typically comes, typically comes out 
as the most conservative on most of those questions. So these are life-changing, massive topics, aren't they? They have caused, and they will cause, a great deal of conflict, sadness, division, also in churches. Um, some, uh, Some of them are always in the news. Euthanasia was back in the news, wasn't it? Because of restaurants and over the Christmas, just one person. And suddenly the BBC talks about it forever and ever. Um, But what's the impact? I'm not talking about specific issues. I'm asking the question, what's the impact of society shifting? Especially when it comes down to the question we're asking today, how do we exercise sound judgment? I think there are two impacts of, of this increasing trend. One is a helpful, more positive impact. The other is quite a negative impact. So first of all, uh, a, a more permissive society tends to be more socially accepting, even more caring. We definitely need more tolerance amongst us. We definitely need to be able to love people who are fundamentally different to us and fundamentally disagree with us. So that's good. And sometimes the church has actually needed society to wake us up. The church has needed society to shock us sometimes. One example would be safeguarding. It seems just astonishing now, bizarre now, that until relatively recent years, situations of abuse in churches were tolerated. And it took the media and society to kind of root that out. Or another example could be um, looking after the planet. Again, I think it's taken society to get the church to see that actually... God gave Adam and Eve a really serious commission here to look after the planet. And society has reminded us of that. So there can be positive effects of this trend. But secondly, the permissiveness of society does have another much less desirable impact on the church, I believe. And that is that it becomes harder and harder for us to present a traditional view, a biblical view, on any of these topics it becomes harder and harder. I'm sure you've seen this even you know, not outside the Christian world, outside the religious sphere, with people ostracized for presenting a traditional view on a topic like gender dysphoria. Whatever we think on that, it has to be okay to state your opinion. And people have been cancelled and all that kind of thing going on for, from universities for years because they're stating a view, sometimes a legitimate academic view. See, Eileen Stock from Suffolk University handed out of her a job where her legitimate research was gender, and she was giving an academic view. The movement of our society towards liberal permissive trends makes 2024 the hardest year yet to state a traditional biblical view on, on any of those topics, I believe. Uh, and, and one example that has been in the news of how society um, can cause chaos for, for the church has been the same-sex discussion in the Church of England, hasn't it? We don't live in a vacuum, right? We need to know what's going on in, in society. Well, actually, some Christians probably do live in a vacuum, in a bubble, right? But that's a kind of laboratory faith that doesn't work in the real world. So we have to know what's going on in society and think, how do we respond to this? And not pretend that we're in this bubble where we don't have to worry about anything like that. That's, just a, that's not a real faith. And not only that, actually, it's not, not just in the news. For some people, those situations are in their own families. 
those topics or in their own families as family discussions. And again, there is a really tough balancing act that Christians are called to make. We are called to make a really tough balance here. We somehow have to hold two opposing forces together in tension. The first one is we must be deeply loving, radically welcoming, and genuinely caring towards people who are different to us. And it's easy to say that. What does that mean? We have to get to that. We have to be deeply loving, radically welcoming, genuinely caring to people who are not like us. At the same time, we have to maintain biblical integrity. We have to hold that truth as well. And that's getting harder and harder. Paul summarizes a very similar, really tough balancing act in, in, in Romans 12 and 13. And very often, in the time I've been here as well, on two occasions, I've seen one of these verses quoted without the other, as though we're completely ignorant, as though the other one didn't write the other one. <laughs> this one suits us, so we'll talk about But Paul says there are two forces here in society, in the world. You've got to hold them both together in tension. And these are these passages from Romans 12 and 13 at the beginning of both passages. So Paul says in Romans 13, uh, a call to respect society, to obey the government, to not go against the authorities. Yeah? He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We are to respect and conform to governments and authorities. And yet, turn the page over, the page before in Romans 12, and Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed. That as Christians, actually, we are sometimes called to stand against the flow, to not conform. Say, no, no, this isn't right. But we are people who are transformed by God, not conforming to the way that the world is. This is not a contradiction. This is a call to the, to a difficult, to the difficulty of holding those two ideas in tension. And being able to do both with integrity is tough. And different churches and different Christians will land at different points on that spectrum. So then, drawing all those three ideas together, let me summarize. I'll do it in reverse order. So the one that we talked about... Oh, so first of all, I'll just say that um, if you're interested in reading more on this, it's on my website, sevenminutes.net. There's also links to some other articles on that social uh, attitude survey. That link is on there as well. So then how do we, from these um, three news items, can we take these three points and summarize them to help us develop sound, sounder judgment, wise judgment for 2024? So first of all, um, that, that last one first, we need to understand that society has changed around us. And we are impacted by that. We should be impacted. We shouldn't have a faith that's somehow cut off from the world. And we are called to genuinely love, not just say the word, those who are different to us, but while maintaining biblical integrity and a biblical worldview. That's the call on us. 
Secondly, on the Middle East uh, conflict, we need to continually learn how to place ourselves in each other's shoes. Again, it's easy to say, but to ask people, why do you think that? What has brought you to that perspective? Let me, let me under, help me to understand. I've noticed, actually, that as we get older, some, people become, some older people become really good at that, while some older pe- people become more and more entrenched in just, this is all I want to know about. I'm not interested in anybody else's opinion. And then thirdly and lastly, going back to the COVID-19 inquiry, let's try and recognize in 2024 when we too are being righteous after the event, which is something we can all fall into. We can all fall into that judgmentalism. Remember, God is as interested in how you stand as where you stand. God is as interested in how you stand as he is in where you stand. Think about that. So lastly, though, I wanted to end with uh, another hugely positive story from 2023 in which we can take heart. Uh, I was astonished, and I think many of us were surprised at this event. Not that it happened. We knew Charles was going to be coronated, but in the unashamedly, um, openly, and overtly Christian nature of that service from start to finish. Uh, 400 million people worldwide tuned into it. Uh, there was trumpets, fanfare, pomp, but there was also prayers, liturgy, Bible reading. Rishi Sunak reading Colossians 1. Uh, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, through whom all things were created in heaven on earth, powers and authorities, visible and invisible. Even, I think, there's power and authority in him even saying that, whatever he believes. And we should take confidence and comfort and gain strength. And actually, whatever we think about society changing, actually at the heart of British society, there is still a Christian foundation somewhere. You know, and thank God for that. Whether it's the coronation or... Daily Christian prayers in Westminster. That's happening. And then just to end with um, some of the words from Justin Welby on that day in some of his liturgy when he, he said, the King of Kings, he said, Jesus Christ was anointed not to be served but to, be, but to serve. For Jesus Christ has announced a kingdom in which the poor and oppressed are freed from chains of injustice. The blind see The bruised and brokenhearted are healed. Amen. Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, called not to be served but to serve, Lord, may may we take that into our hearts and into this year. Lord, we pray, Father, as we um, look back and look forward, Lord, that you would make us a people who are deeply thinking, reflective, prayerful people, Lord. And we pray, Father, in this year, Lord, Uh, Whatever happens in the world around us, you would make us people of wisdom and sound judgment, that we would do it for the glory of your kingdom and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.